I want to thank you again for being here. I, you know, we just recognize that you have choices, and uh, we're glad that you chose to be here this morning, and we just believe that God has got a word for you uh, to strengthen you. And uh, today we're going to wrap up a section that we've been in for some time, from chapter 12 to chapter 14 in 1 Corinthians. We've been studying that, looking at it uh, in depth, and uh, I just want to acknowledge that it's been a season of growth for me personally. And I hope it's been for you. There's been clarity for me. There's been enlightening. There's been challenging. And I want you to know that I feel better equipped to have and to allow and to encourage the Holy Spirit's presence in moving on a regular basis because of God's Word and the application pieces of uh, these chapters, chapter 12, 13, and 14. Now, most recently, we've been in chapter 14 of 1 Corinthians, and you can turn there in your Bibles, and what we're seeing really in chapter 14 are a list of guidelines for ministry, guidelines for the public use of spiritual gifts, of tongues and interpretation of tongues and of prophecy, and these guidelines are really important. And Paul is suggesting in these, in these words an orderliness and a self-control and an understandability uh, within the context when the body gathers together. You say, well, why is that important? It's important because there was a lot of individualized worship going on in the corporate setting in Corinth. And Paul is bringing a corrective work or a corrective thought. And he's also saying, look, this is the way things are in order. And so today, I, we did something very unique, very different for us. I, we haven't done this typically, but we've added some notes that you can follow along with and fill in the blanks, and then this is something you can keep in your Bible and refer to in regards to the working of the Holy Spirit within the corporate body. And I want you, as you, you know, look at that, and maybe you have to get up and grab a pen so you can follow along, uh, we want to encourage you that we are committed as a church to allowing and desiring all that God has for this church. We don't want to just show up and go through the motions. We want a passionate, intimate encounter with God. And not just because we're assemblies of God, but because we love God and because what He says is true and we want all of it, don't we? I know I do. Now the concern is, is that in the church world today, in the Pentecostal circles or the charismatic circles, uh, there are a lot of churches that are backing away from encouraging spiritual gifts within the context. They're ashamed or embarrassed or maybe there's some misunderstanding or maybe there's been some abuse. And they, they step back at the risk of losing their heritage or the distinction that we find in Scripture. Or they've reserved it only for those that are grounded believers, maybe for a, 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 a Sunday night or a midweek type service, and certainly not on Sunday morning. And I just want to say, when we look at four, chapter 14, that idea that we would step away from the spiritual gifts being active or minimize those would have been the farthest thing from Paul's mind, as I understand Scripture. And we remember what it said in verse 24 when we studied that a couple weeks ago. You know, the concern is always for the new believer or for the unbeliever, the seeker, right? And I would just say we do not have to be afraid. If it's understandable, if it's orderly, we do not have to be worried. And we know that God is more concern, concerned about those souls that are new or those that are seeking. And so we can say with confidence, 
Holy Spirit, have your way. Move in this place. So today, we're going to look at 14 guidelines. Some of these will be review, and others will be brand new, uh, which are more toward the end of chapter 14. But I wanted to give you the, the whole picture, and it's something that we can kind of hold on to, sink our teeth into, and really hopefully be a matter that we can really grow. And so we'll move through these somewhat quickly. You can follow along, jot, out, jot down. And the first one is this, is that all spiritual gifts must be motivated by love. Look what 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 1 says. It says, follow the way of love and eagerly desire spiritual gifts. The idea is that love and spiritual gifts work hand in hand. It would be a huge mistake to say, oh, I will just love people and we'll let other people work in the spiritual gifts. No. As you love, you will experience and be used with spiritual gifts. It's not possible to eliminate those. If you back up just a couple verses in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 31, it says, but eagerly desire the spiritual gifts, and I will show you a most excellent way. What's the more excellent way is to follow love. Look what it says. If I speak in a tongue of men and of angels, but I have not love, I'm a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all men, uh, mysteries and all knowledge, and I have a faith that can move mountains, but I have not love, I am nothing. If I give to all I possess to the poor and surrender my body to the flames, but have not love, I gain nothing. Again, it's not possible to love without experiencing the spiritual gifts. And by the way, with someone who is new to the, to the gifts of the Spirit, when there's a, a, an understanding, a learning, an exploring, there needs to be an extra measure of love. Maybe you know someone that's not as familiar, or maybe someone that has been uh, taught in a different way and they're, they're getting knowledge. There needs to be a love, there needs to be a patience. When it talks about love, love is patient and kind, does not envy. All those things about love need to be seen as we learn in these things. All spiritual gifts must be motivated by love, number one. Number two, tongues must always be interpreted. Now, this is not talking about the devotional aspect, which we've talked about, uh, the baptism in the Holy Spirit, a prayer language. This is talking about the public gift of tongues. If it commands the attention from the pulpit or from the pews, if tongues would, were to stop the service, it must be interpreted. Look at what it says in verse 6 and 9 and 19. Let's, you can follow along. It says, Now, brothers, if I come to you and speak in tongues, what good would that be to you unless I bring some revelation or knowledge or prophecy or word of instruction? Look at what verse 9 says. So it is with you, unless you speak intelligible words with your tongue, how will anyone know what you're saying? You will just be speaking into the air. And then in verse 19, Paul says, I like this, but in the church, in the corporate setting, right? I would rather speak five intelligible words to instruct others than 10,000 words in a tongue. And the idea there is that it needs to be orderly and understandable, and that is what will bring edification to the body. And by the way, in the pulpit, um, I, I've been encouraged in, you know, in this series um, that if I'm going to pray in my heavenly language in the corporate setting, um, I don't know if you've noticed this, but I've, I've been recently, I will turn off my microphone as I pray in the Spirit in that way, in order to, uh, so there's no confusion in that. I believe that we can speak in tongues corporately in a corporate setting, our personal language, but if it demands the attention of the entire group, it must be 
interpreted. Does that make sense? All right, number three. Tongues and interpretation are primarily directed to God, not people. Look at what verse says, or verse 2 says. I like this. It's very clear. It says, For anyone who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men, but to God. Crystal clear. Look at what verse 17 says. Um, it says this. It says, You may be giving thanks well enough as you're speaking in tongues, but the other man or those around you are not edified. They're not built up. See, when tongues and interpretation work together, they will edify the church like prophecy. And when there's an interpretation, and there's a distinction between interpreting and a translation, it's not a direct word-for-word translation. It's the essence, the sense of what is being said. But when that happens, it should reflect a to-God nature. Now you say, is that always the case? Well, it's not always the case, but in most cases it should be to God. One case where it's not in Scripture is Acts chapter 2, and we won't look at that, but that was more directed to men in verse 7 and verse 11. And so the key, I believe, is that we're not legalistic, but we understand that when tongues and interpretation are put together, it should be to God primarily. Number four, prophecy should strengthen, encourage and comfort. We looked at this over the last couple weeks. Uh, verse 3 says this, but everyone who prophesies speaks to men. See the distinction. Why? For their strengthening, encouragement, and comfort. If you look at verse 31, which we'll get to in a little bit, for you can all prophesy in turn. Why? So that you may be instructed and encouraged. That same sort of idea. And then it also really, it helps us that in that when there is a prophecy, that we are to test, we're to evaluate, we're to ask the question, was that from God? And we'll see that as we continue as well. But prophecy has a purpose and a plan, and it's listed here in Scripture. Number five, we're moving pretty good. You guys all with me still? Am I going too fast? All right, keep going. All right, we got a bunch of them, so we got to go fast. Anyone speaking in tongues should pray to interpret. And that means in, a, in the corporate setting, if you use the, in the gift of tongues, you should pray that you would interpret. Look at what verse 13 says. It says this, for this reason, anyone who speaks in a tongue that's in a corporate setting, demands the attention, should pray that he or she may interpret what he or she says. This is important. Now, this is not a have to, but it's, an, it's appropriate. Again, we're not going to be legalistic here. In fact, uh, um, we've, we've seen even here at the Gateway Church where someone would give a tongue, someone else would interpret, and we'll see here in a minute that that's allowed. But verse 13 is clear that the person speaking in tongues should seek, should pray for the interpretation. This week we were in uh, tra uh, Traverse City, the staff was uh, with me uh, at a conference on Tuesday. In one of the services, uh, there was a, uh, an, an utterance in tongues and uh, everyone you know, quieted down. It was very clear that God was moving and the person that uh, gave the tongues uh, there was a, some silence. It was a little awkward for a moment. You, know, you start kind of looking around like, okay, what's going on? And the person that gave the tongue interpreted, and I think most appropriately in that way. Number six, every spiritual gift must be used for the strengthening of the body. 
This is, we've talked about this already, but look at verse 12. It says this, So it is with you, since you are eager to have spiritual gifts, try to excel in the gifts that build up or edify or strengthen the church. Same thing with verse 26. This is new material now. What then shall we say, brothers? When you come together, everyone has a hymn, or a word of instruction, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation. All of these, so the spiritual gifts, must be done for the strengthening of the church. That's why the body gathers together, is of course to glorify God, but there's a strengthening, an edifying that comes. And if someone has a word that tears down the church in a prophetic way or in in some way, I, I just believe that's not from God, and we need to discern that. We need to understand that. There's an evaluation that is needed. And so the question is, does what is being said, does it build up the church And if it's a yes, then we want to embrace it. If not, we want to be careful and we want to uh, allow, we want to acknowledge that. Number seven, in any service, we're talking about the corporate gathering of of believers, a church setting. And for us, in our case, in each service. So we have two services, nine and 11. At any one gathering, there can only be up to three utterances in tongues. Now, this is not an issue here uh, historically, although it could be at some point. It's good to know. Look what verse 27 says. It says in verse 27, it says, If anyone is to speak in tongues, two or at the most three should speak, one at a time, and someone must interpret. Now, it's interesting. Uh, I I know this isn't, uh, there's some debate in regards to this verse, uh, but as I understand this, uh, when we're looking at this, and by the way, this would have been shocking to the Corinthian church. Paul is addressing an issue that was that everyone had a tongue. Everyone was speaking out and not necessarily interpreting. Um, but he's saying, look, t- two are at the most three utterances in tongues with, I believe, one interpreter. Look what it says. And someone must interpret. And so two or three tongues could be different people one interpretation and i believe that once the interpretation comes that's it is regards to the gift of tongues it's the most literal understanding of the verse and um and that's uh that's what i believe the scripture is saying number eight is this and kind of ties in those with the gift of tongues should be silent if they are not sure that someone is present to interpret so this allows now for uh, someone to interpret and someone else to, or someone to give an utterance in tongues, someone else to give the interpretation of tongues. In verse 28, look what it says. It says, if there's no one to interpret, the speaker should keep silent, should keep quiet in the church and speak to himself and to God. Now I want you to note that it's not saying not to speak in tongues with a prayer language. That we're talking now about the public use of tongues. And there's two possible uh, things. If there's a, uh, a corporate uh, uh, public use of tongues, uh, a, a corporate way that, number one, the person giving the tongue can interpret. The second is that someone else can interpret. And you say, well, how would you know if someone is here that has that gift? Well, we'll talk about it at the end of the service, but there needs to be a familiarity within the body. You should be known by the pastoral staff and elders of the board uh, or the board. And um, people should should know you. Otherwise, it would be inappropriate. So if you show up and are a guest at someone's church, 
and you have the gift of interpretation or the gift of tongues, it would be inappropriate if you are completely unknown to exercise that gift. Otherwise, they should shut you down. If anybody came in, we didn't know them, we would, we would do the same. And so the, the answer is, what does that look like? And it's not that we're looking for someone that is perfect. You just need to be known within the body in order to be used in the public gift of tongues, interpretation, or prophecy. Does that make sense? Amen. Amen. Number nine, in any service, now we're looking at prophecy, there can only be up to three prophecy. Look at what it says in 29, crystal clear. Two or three prophets should speak, and the others should weigh carefully what is said. It's pretty clear. It's pretty straightforward. So in a context of a service, for us, we've got two services, but in one of those services, there could be up to three tongues, one interpretation, and three prophecies. That would be seven manifestations of the communication gifts at work. And then after that, other than the preaching, then we would cut it off. There would be no further uh, use or further allowance of those types of gifts to be used. Now, someone was saying, and I was reading this uh, this week, that, well, if one of the prophecies were off, so someone spoke out and it wasn't really from the Lord, or, and the leadership uh, said, no, that's not from God, or that's for, your, that's for that person, it's not for the corporate body, then would there be allowing, would they allow for an, an additional, the third, which would be the fourth? And sure, and again, we would be walking out, walking that out uh, day by day or moment by moment in those ways. And really, there needs to be strong leadership in those ways. But certainly, if, the, if one of the prophecies were off, that would not be uh, counted as one of the legitimate prophecies. I hope that makes sense. But it was interesting as I was reading uh, how that came up on a couple of occasions. Number 10, the church, or what we consider the body of believers, right, are responsible to evaluate what is spoken. Verse 29, right? There's two or three prophets should speak, and the others should weigh carefully what is said. The others there primarily are other prophets, but I believe that we are the body of believers, that we have a, a job together to judge. It's not just the pastor standing up and saying, you know, judging, saying, oh, I'll give that a 10 or I'll give that one a three, right? No, or two thumbs up or one, uh, one thumb up or no thumbs up. No, that's not the case. It's the body that evaluates. You, in your seats, or if you're not up front, you can be evaluating. Was that strengthening, encouraging? What, did that bring comfort? And what I want you to see, and it's not in your notes, but you could write it down, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 19, encourages us to not put out the Spirit's fire and not to treat prophecy with contempt. So as you're evaluating, as you are judging, was that from the Lord? Be very careful that you are not bringing judgment or a sarcasm or a criticism that is inappropriate. And it's, it's very, very important. 1 John 4, 1 says not to believe every spirit, every manifestation. And so we need to question, is it from the Lord? And that's our responsibility. And I say our, that each of our responsibility. How many have ever been there, you know, in, in a situation and somebody's speaking out and maybe your heart kind of turns cold or you're kind of wondering, like, was that from the Lord? Listen to your heart. Listen to your heart and cover it in love. 
We're not going to embarrass someone. We're, we, we're privately, we're going to, you know, we'll, we would come along and say, hey, that was not from the Lord. Uh, there may be times we'll do it publicly, but, but listen, we're going to cover it with love. If we're going to err on any side, we're going to err on the side of love. Number 11, in any service, there should be only one prophecy at a time, and each prophet should give deference to each other. Look at what verse 30 and 31 says. It says, And if revelation comes to someone who is sitting down, that's someone that's not speaking or not up front, the first speaker should stop. For you can all prophesy in turn so that everyone may be instructed and encouraged. Now, of course, Paul is talking about a specific problem that has arose in the Corinthian church, but the idea is to yield. If there are two prophets or three you yield, give each other the ability to speak so that everyone can understand. Remember, Paul is speaking to this problem, and, and it's really common sense that if it's going to edify, it needs to be understandable, and giving deference would allow for that to happen. Number 12, a person who prophesies or speaks in a tongue is never out of control or in an ecstatic state. This is interesting. Look what it says in verse 30. If any revelation comes, the first speaker should stop. How could that first person stop if they're, if they're not, uh, can't control themselves, right? So the idea is, yes, they can control themselves. Look at verse 30 and 31. For you can all prophesy in turn. Why? So that everyone may be instructed and encouraged. And by the way, I believe that this is true for every spiritual gift, that when the Spirit of God is moving and the spiritual gifts are at work, you are not out of control. And so those, and we've all seen it, we've seen abuse of this, um, and, and it can happen anywhere. There are really a couple options. Either it's God, which He's not going to allow you to be out of control. You say, well, what, if, what about the person that couldn't control themselves? Well, it's one of two things. Either it was, it was their flesh, which is highly probable, or it was the enemy at work. And so we got to be careful. And practically, and so, I mean, just practically, how would that look? You know, it's, if, uh, if we're coming and I'm preaching and, uh, and, and uh, we've captured the attention, uh, I'm uh, in my message and coming to the altar call, if someone were to speak out at that point, I would say, hey, hold that for a moment. We'll come back to that because God is a God of order. And that leads to number 13, and uh, I love this. The use of tongues and interpretation and prophecy should always reflect the orderly and peaceable nature of God. This is so important. This should absolutely be our priority. Look at verse 33. It says this, For God is not a God of disorder, but a God of peace. Verse 40, again, but everything should be done in a fitting and in an orderly way. It is crystal clear that when we come together, there's order, there is uh, understandable uh, understandability. When we gather together, it is not a Holy Spirit free-for-all, okay? There is a reverence, things need to be fitting and in order. 
But what we often pray, and it's even this morning, I prayed with our prayer team uh, before service. I prayed with Pastor Bobby this way. I prayed with Pastor Pete this morning this way. And I do almost every Sunday. We say this. We say, Lord, we have prepared, we have planned, but Lord, you are in control. And so we want to yield to the Holy Spirit. But he will never bring something that's out of control or that is, that is going to bring confusion. And again, it's orderly, it's peaceable. When God is moving in these different areas and, you, and it's from the Lord, there's a sense that there's a reverence and that, wow, God has met us and it's powerful. And we not only desire that, we expect that on a weekly basis. Number 14, and really we're going back to something from verse 28. Anyone using the public uh, use of spiritual gifts, the communication gifts, should be familiar with the local body of believers. And again, I, I wanted to kind of stick that in there. And really, there's a, a sense in the, from chapter 12 to chapter 14. You know, in chapter 12, verses 12 and 13 and on, it talks about the, the parts of the body, that there's a, a, a work of the Spirit. And, uh, and it's so important that, that, uh, that when, when you're part of a body, that you are known. And if you're going to be using these gifts, and that's such an important piece. It's interesting, again, you know, I've been studying this and in this up in Traverse City again. There were actually three uh, manifestations of the Spirit uh, from a communication other than preaching. And what was interesting is I watched our leaders from our, uh, from our denomination, from the Assemblies of God, up in Traverse City in the services. Um, the one time, there was a young man, I don't know, how old do you think he, he's probably your age, maybe, you know, young 20s, maybe mid-20s. And, um, and he came up, and what, it was beautiful, he came and approached our superintendent and said, hey, and I kind of watched him do this at the end of worship, and he was saying something that we didn't know, but he was asking for permission to speak. Then the superintendent shifted him to the person that was going to go up and pray, the person actually came up and prayed first and then gave that person the opportunity to share what the prophetic word was. And it was powerful. It was incredible. It wasn't an interrupting. It wasn't out of order. And he was obviously known by the leadership. And so there was a comfort level in my heart. And it was the presence of God was there. And the same idea is true. It's, it's, I wanted to go back to that. I want to kind of finish on that. And really, there are two takeaways for me. When I look at these guidelines, when I understand chapter 12, 13, and 14, together, these guidelines are from the Lord. They're given to us for our benefit. And if we're not going to follow them, and really the Corinthians were not following those at that point, this is Paul's response. Look at verse 36. It says, did the word of God originate with you? He's kind of sarcastic there. He says, are you the only people that it's reached? If anyone thinks he's a prophet or spiritually gifted, in other words, if you are going to be used in the spiritual gifts, especially the communication gifts in a public setting, what does it say? Let him acknowledge what I have been writing to you is the Lord's command. Church, what we have been studying is straight from the Lord. And of course, there's interpretation, but as we understand it, it's from the Lord. We cannot deny that. And if he ignores this, if someone were to come in and not follow what we have laid out, these guidelines, that as we understand them, what would we do? He himself will be ignored, and we would need to do the same thing. We would need to shut it down. We need to, you know, with love, we would want to do that. 
So the first guideline is, yes, these are from the, from the Lord. The second, or the, uh, the second takeaway is this, that when we read chapter 12, 13, and 14, over and over again, we are encouraged to eagerly desire spiritual gifts. Now, write these down. I don't think it's in your notes, but you can write them down. Chapter 12, verse 1, look what it says. Now about spiritual gifts, brothers, I don't want you to be ignorant. In other words, I want there to be an understanding. Verse 31 of that same chapter, but eagerly desire the greater gifts. Chapter 14, verse 1, follow the way of love and eagerly desire spiritual gifts, especially the gift of prophecy. Verse 12, I'm sorry, verse 5, yeah, I love this. It says, I would like everyone of you to speak in tongues, but I would rather them prophesy. For he who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues unless he interprets. Why would he encourage this? Is that the church would be edified. So there's this desiring or this usability. Chapter, uh, verse number 12. So it is with you. Since you are eager to have spiritual gifts, excel in the gifts. Uh, excel in the building up of the saints. And then again, we see it at the end of the chapter, verse 39. Therefore, my brothers, he's summing up all that he said. Paul is saying to the Corinthian brothers and sisters, be eager to prophesy and do not forbid speaking in tongues. Crystal clear. He's encouraging. There needs to be an expectancy to understand and to be used in spiritual gifts. As you rest with that, as I've rest, wrestled with that and kind of come to some conclusions, I believe that our services should be manifesting the character of God. The gifts should be at work week in and week out. We want the gifts to function here at the Gateway Church. We want the moving of the Holy Spirit because it brings life like nothing else. When there's an opening to the gifts, church, there's, a, there's life. This is a dimension that brings life like nothing else can. And so we say, welcome, Holy Spirit. Welcome, Holy Spirit. Welcome, Holy Spirit. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. I want you to sit just in your own way, maybe under your breath or even out loud, just say, welcome, Holy Spirit. Welcome, your Holy Spirit. You are welcome here. You are welcome here. You're free to move and to reign in this place. In this place. Hallelujah. 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 Now, for those that have been tracking with us, and you're you're, some of you are looking at me like, hey, you skipped some verses. I don't know if anyone caught it, and maybe if you didn't, we could just skip it. But no, we're not going to. I want to look at two verses that have caused some controversy uh, within this context. And look what it says in verse 34 and 35. So he's talking about these different guidelines, these different, different rules, and then he says this. He says, women should remain silent in the churches. They are not allowed to speak but must be in submission, as the law says. If they want to inquire about something, they should ask their own husbands at home, for it is disgraceful for a woman to speak in the church. Now, when we look at that, it seems out of place. It seems to me, and as I've studied, uh, 
that there is some controversy around this. In, in the commentators, it's a field day. I mean, there are uh, pages and pages and pages of commentary around these verses. And first, we've got to recognize, the, or answer the question, did Paul write these words? And if so, where do they belong? Because some of the earliest manuscripts take these verses and they're found at the end of chapter 14. Some others are found as a footnote on the side and not in the original text. It's more of a, in the side margins. And some would say, eventually made it into Scripture. And, uh, and so some would say, well, if that was the case, then maybe Paul did not write these words. Well, the problem with that is that every ancient manuscript, without fail, have these verses in them at one place or another. And so the bottom line to me is it's inspired. It's the Word of God. And so we need to bring some understanding around that. Now, this, the main reason it's con controversial is because it seems to contradict what Paul has said earlier to the 1 Corinthians. See, Paul had already allowed and even affirmed women to pray and to prophesy in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. And we studied that in verse 5, verse 13. And so you look at these, you look at the allowance of prayer and prophecy for women, and then now here says that the women are not even to speak in the public setting. How do you reconcile the contradiction or the seeming contradiction? And the best answer that I could come up with, and really as I've studied and, and dug in, is you really must understand all of Paul's writings and not just to pick one verse out here or there. And when you look at the writings of Paul in regards to women, it is clearly, there's clearly a deep respect for women, including women in ministry. And all the ladies said, amen, right? And really, when you look at his writing, roughly 40 different people are mentioned by name as fellow workers in ministry. And out of those 40, 16 are women, which would have been unheard of in that day and age to affirm a woman in that way. Very, very interesting. And so it's clearly not against, or Paul is not against women being engaged in legitimate ministry. I believe that to the core of my heart. But he mentions in these verses the law. That according to the law, and really most commentators believe that he's referring to Genesis chapter 3, verse 16, that after the fall, the reality is that, uh, that where the men and uh, Adam and Eve were equals um, at, after the fall, then uh, part of the curse for the woman is that the, the, the husband would rule over the wife. And that her desire would be for the man. There was a, and Matt kind of was helping me. Yeah, yeah, I know. <laughs> I was looking for some insight, and yeah, he's out of here. <laughs> I'm going to put you on the spot. Sorry. Could you come and explain this verse, please? <laughs> but after the fall, that there was this desire uh, within the heart of a woman just naturally to rule over her husband, and so there's this conflict. But really, there's a headship that is created in creation from the beginning of time. We see it with the Heavenly Father, God the Father, and God the Son. And there's a submission there. We see that. We see that with husbands and wives. We, see, we should see that within the church, that there's a spiritual headship, a spiritual leadership that is put in place for the benefit of the corporate body. So I believe that Paul is appealing 
to more of the order of creation and not so much a cultural thing in this verse. And Paul is saying that spiritual gifts must be under the covering of the leadership that's placed uh, within the church for a variety of reasons that have nothing, I believe, to do with the culture. The church must recognize God's moral order of leadership, the principles of moral and spiritual headship and leadership within the context of the local church. And I, I believe that's the essence of what Paul is saying. So we need to remember in chapter 12, 13, and 14, the, uh, Paul again is primarily bringing a corrective nature to what was happening. And so there was some abuse to that idea of headship within the local church. And as we study this in the history, most likely there was an abuse of order and understandability. And we remember that back in chapter 11, apparently the women had thought that when they had the Holy Spirit come on them, they were filled with the Holy Spirit with the evidence of speaking in tongues. They felt that they had entered into a messianic age, a spiritual existence that elevated them to the level of angels. And Paul brought some correction there. And really that idea was influenced heavily by the Greek culture, the Hellenistic culture, where they felt like the body was bad, the only spirit was good, right? We studied this, and we're going to see it in chapter 15, that it affected their views of the resurrection, that they had whacked out views of the resurrection. They denied the resurrection because they're saying, hey, the body's bad, my body's not going to be resurrected, and, and Paul's going to bring some correction to that, and we're going to see that next week. But chapter 7, the same thing, we studied this, that they stopped having sexual relationships, uh, husbands and wives, because they thought, oh, the body's bad, only spirit's good, and they're saying, oh, to have sex is not necessary. Paul addressed that. The same idea was seen where they felt that gender restrictions fell by the wayside. Women felt that they did not need to cover their heads in that culture. And it was a modesty thing. There was a reverence thing. Uh, but they're saying it's unnecessary. So Paul's addressing all of these things. And in chapter 14, women and men, be careful, they were seeking the showy gifts. And the women were ignoring the order within the church. And the, to clue us in on that is in verse 34, where it says that they are not to speak. And that word speak in the Greek, is the most common word used for simple conversation in chit-chat or chatter. So most likely, as I understand this, all right, and we're, I'm going to bring this into a close, and we're, we're going to bring this uh, all to a close. Women had got carried away. It was a specific issue that Paul was addressing. They got carried away, and the meetings had turned into a free-for-all and a debate. And, uh, and Paul saying, look, that's not healthy. It's not healthy. I don't believe Paul is a chauvinist. He's not a woman hater. And I want to just encourage you, if you want to dig a little deeper and to kind of study in full, 1 Timothy chapter 2 uh, really is the premier place to really understand the role of a woman in leadership and in ministry. And with that, I'll close my thoughts on those two verses. <laughs> Amen. Amen. That's fun. Oh, yeah, thanks. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, all right. It's interesting. I, I showed up to church today, and I already had my message kind of planned out. And uh, in my box, I got an article uh, from Charisma Magazine from one of our board members. And uh, the question was, or the, the report was, why many churches exclude the Holy Spirit on Sundays? 
interesting, the timeliness. And thank you, Rick, for, for putting that in my box. And um, so even though it was a busy morning, I took the time to read the article. And, um, and what Jim Cimbala, he's the pastor at Brooklyn Tabernacle uh, out in New York. Some of you may be familiar with him. Uh, he writes this passionate appeal for churches not to uh, withhold from the spiritual gifts being at work. And uh, the question of the experience, he says this, what is it about a church service that gets people antsy? In God's presence, there is supposed to be an abundance of joy. How many agree to that? Absolutely. Spending time with him is exactly the thing that recharges our spiritual batteries to face life's challenges. So why are we so eager, he's asking the question, to leave his presence? Unless, of course, his presence isn't being experienced, which is pretty hard to swallow. The truth is that too many churches don't experience God's presence. The, uh, the Sunday services are monotonous and predictable and theatrical and human-centered. Or centered. Sadly, I have learned, this is Jim Sibyl saying, that even many church leaders themselves have never experienced the awesomeness of God's presence. And that, there's some truth to that. There are pastors that I meet with that are dry, and uh, man, uh, they, uh, they need a fresh dose of the Holy Spirit. I need a fresh dose. I mean, I'm not throwing them under the bus. Um, but the question was, would or we would rather, he's talking about his church, have, um, or he's talking about the church as a whole, that many times they would rather have a hu- human than the divine. And uh, God help us in that. And then he wraps up and too much to kind of share the whole thing. He says, making room for the presence of God. And this is how he kind of adds or ends the, the, the article. He says, we need to invite the spirit into our churches and to make room for him in our lives throughout the week. When he comes, he makes Jesus Christ real and strengthens us to face every difficult challenge before us. That's what the Holy Spirit does. That's what God has been doing this morning. I believe, boy, when I saw people come forward to receive prayer, there were some needs that were being met in the presence of God. And a week in and week out, and Bobby, you can come, um, we desire for the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit to rest here, to help us. We are human. We need the power of the Holy Ghost in our lives. We need it. It's what transforms us. It's what sustains us. It's what gets us by. And when we come, let's not just come in and punch in and punch out, but let's come expecting the power and the presence of God to move in our lives. Amen. Hallelujah. This morning, uh, I want to close with an anthem. We've been singing this on Wednesday nights and plugged in, and it's just a powerful, easy song, just welcoming the Holy Spirit, the presence of God. And I want to close with that, but I, and I want us to engage in that, and you may uh, want to come forward and just spend some time in the presence of God before you leave uh, today as we sing. But before that, I'm curious if there's anyone here today that doesn't know Jesus as their personal Savior, that doesn't have a relationship with Jesus. And if you were to die today, would you go to heaven?
Do you know for sure that your heart has been cleaned by your Heavenly Father? See, the Bible's clear. It says we've all sinned, we've all fallen short of the glory of God. There's not one person here that is righteous enough to enter into heaven on their own. We all need Jesus. And if you're here today and you need Jesus to save you, I'm just going to ask if you'd raise your hand. I want to just acknowledge and we want to pray with you. We want to ask the Lord to help you and, uh, and for you to experience salvation. Is there anyone here this morning that says, man, I need the saving grace of Jesus in my life? Anyone at all? Anyone at all? Just slip up your hand right where you are. Who this morning is the Holy Spirit speaking to saying, hey, it's time to get your life right. It's time to turn and to make a change. See, you may have been serving God in your past, but this season, you're away from God. Today is the day God wants you to turn back 180 degrees and to experience Him again. Anybody at all? See, that's where I am today. Just lift up your hand. I want to pray with you. Okay. Yeah. We've got a young lady that responded. Anyone at all? All right. We're going to pray for her here in just a moment and uh, just ask the Lord to help and for her family to surround her and to walk with her, and that would be great. But I want to speak to your hearts this morning. Are you in a place this morning where you are desiring the presence of God in your life? Or are you dry and you need a fresh dose of the Holy Ghost, the Holy Spirit to touch you? If you are dry, the Holy Spirit's here to fill you up. And there's no reason to walk out of here without a full tank and to overflowing. And so I'm just going to ask, if you desire at any level, you could be dry or you could be full, but if you desire the Holy Spirit, to be at work in your life. I want you just to stand. You know, I said earlier that our services should be manifesting the presence of, of God, the character of God, and that we desire for the gifts to be functioning. But they don't have to happen just here in the corporate setting. See, when the Holy Spirit fills your life, it brings a life that is like no other. It, there's a dimension of life that nothing else can bring other than the Holy Spirit. And so as we leave this morning with this on our hearts, on our tongues, we are asking the Holy Spirit to go with us, to go behind us and around us, and that we'd be so full that when we bump into someone at lunch today, the Holy Spirit is going to overflow. That Monday morning, we're going to be filled up again and as we spend time with the Lord and in our day-to-day -day at school or at work or uh, whatever we do, that God is going to overflow in our lives. That's what God desires, I believe. That's what we can expect as spirit-filled believers, full of the Spirit of God, and God desires it.
So let me pray a prayer of benediction, and then we're going to sing through it again as you just are dismissed. You can stay and sing as long as you want, but let's just honor the Lord with a benediction prayer. Lord, we thank you for your word. Thank you for strengthening us as your body through your word. Thank you, God, that we can apply your word, that there are guidelines we can follow and keep tabs. And God, I pray that your word would reign supreme, that it would keep you at the forefront of everything that is said and done in our lives. And God, like this song says, I pray that we would be sensitive to experience your presence in our lives, day in, day out, moment by moment. And Lord, that we'd be full. And God, that it'd be contagious. And that your presence would reign and rule on Sundays, but also in our day-to-day week. Lord, we pray for your honor, for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.